Science. Hey everyone, welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen. There's Andy Wood. Hello, hello. We're recording early Tuesday afternoon, early by our standards, fresh from a Jim Jeffries show recording. Yeah, back for season two. How was the first episode? It was fun. It was fun. I think the episode was good. I don't know. I can never tell fully, but I... Jim was on form. The audience seemed to like it. There was that bit of, like, last week, there was definitely a feeling of, you know, when you come back to school after the summer break and you can't remember how to use a pen? Uh-huh, sure. <laughs> there, was, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of that kind of like, how do we do jokes now? <laughs> and I think, you know, it all sort of clicked in towards the end. We remembered. Excellent. Any teasers in case I put this up before the episode airs to entice people to watch? Uh, it, was mo- it was very protest-based. Okay. Jim had a fun piece where he tried to reenact his gun bit down at the gun protest oh, that's oh fun. on what sort of stage or uh, just just in the park just in the park okay it was very funny <laughs> nice. it, was, it was all it was all funny games and then um and then the sad news that uh that jim's dead as announced by jim on the show oh jim's dead that's uh, <laughs> it was some, it was a very sad news that we found out from a maltese clickbait website last week oh, that's a bummer it's a yeah. bummer when Mal- malta malta todays.com <laughs> announced that jim was dead so that was the that was act that was act four of the show so hey anybody, oh, i, I know if our listeners have uh, job prospects for you now that your host is gone yeah it, it was very sad and it was a shock it was a shock to all of us but not least jim yeah jim sure. definitely <laughs> took it jim took it harder than most of us to find out that he was dead Hey, the very, very funny Ian Abramson is joining us. Hello, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the double welcome, the rare double welcome. The rare double welcome. People should feel Are you going to get a triple welcome? Hello Andy? and welcome to Boom. the podcast. Now yes. that's a home run. That's a triple, that's a... I like it when everyone's welcomed. <laughs> Everyone has both feels... been welcomed and welcomed. <laughs> if you tweet at me asking you, me to uh, welcome you to the podcast, I will. So You will welcome. Mm-hmm. You're like the David Harbour of welcoming. That's right. Did you hear what he did with that? There was a girl who asked if she would be in his senior in her senior picture, and he said, if, you're, if your uh, tweet gets retweeted 25,000 times, I'll come do it. Whoa. Oh, God. He, he, Which is just like, is a, like, well, then that's your way of going, yes, I will do it, but I also want some extra publicity it's first. Because it's, it's you know when you do that to someone. Yeah, okay, fine. Let's be cynical. But I mean, it was a funny picture because he was holding a trombone in it, like wearing the sweatshirt of her high school. It's a, kind of a... It would have been weirder if he was like, yes, but you can't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> if this doesn't get retweeted ever, yeah, I will yeah. come do it. Like, oh, what? Ah. Uh, you just made me laugh backwards and I just I, I impaled oh, my back shoulder on this we've already plant. established the very dangerous plant very unsafe plant Ian <laughs> uh, in a past episode we covered a story about how people uh, get inner ear inner ear damage from uh, standing up near a yucca plant See, uh, spiny oh. which was then confirmed Spikes. by one of our Spikes. listeners from oh, wow. personal experience and I'm I'm at exactly ear height right now yeah. to this plant. Although I am wearing, Luckily, I'm just wearing, wearing headphones. headphones. That's yep. true. Mm-hmm. I hadn't yeah. just realized until now, but this is both to help the audio quality of the show <laughs> yeah, and protection. protection. <laughs> we well, should have asked Charlie since it was kind of a, a uniquely Australian phenomenon when he was here last week. Oh, yeah. If that gave him any like PTSD looking at the plant. Or if it just made him feel at home, because I think the Australians yeah, are generally... Cl- 
generally feel comforted by things that are dangerous from nature. <laughs> they like, like, like a bit of danger. That's not a good... Don't we have yucca plants out here? Think, besides the one I mean, in your we, living room? We had one at the Lowe's or Home Depot where I, I think got we had guy. them in yeah. my yard growing up. Yeah, there's um, there's a city near Joshua Tree called Yucca Valley mm-hmm. or Yucca, Yuccaton, yeah. Yuc- Yuccasburg. I grew up not too far from there, so okay. I... And what was the actual place where you grew up? Merino Valley, Marino. right by Riverside in oh, the Inland Empire. It is. The yucca plant is native to the high deserts of the southwestern United States and Mexico, boom. which we're currently in. Boom. Double boom. There we go. <laughs> Triple welcome, double boom. It's a good episode <laughs> so far, guys. Wow. How was the uh, Inland Empire as a place to grow up? Very odd. It's a strange place, but I, I loved it. Yeah, I don't know if people from outside of the area know that if you just drive east from L.A., you're constantly in some city or another for like a hundred miles. There's no stoppage of city. <laughs> like there's no break between all of the, right between here and Riverside and like San Bernardino. It's like all yeah. you got your Covinas, your Claremonts, your yep. uh, uh, I don't West. The Covinas. city of industry, the city of commerce. <laughs> Two real cities. I can't believe those yeah. are titles of cities. That is, that is like just job town. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, is. yeah. The city of commerce even has a casino because what says commerce better than casino? Mm-hmm. Right. I was about to say successville, but it's not even saying success. You won't be, <laughs> it's not saying you'll be successful there. Just, you know, like yeah. you'll get by. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come here and you'll just about scrape. <laughs> I'll give you this for that town. <laughs> like that's, yeah. Um, so when you were growing up in the Inland Empire and and beyond, what we like to ask our guests this mm-hmm. anyway before we get into the stories. What if anything was your science background? Did you? Did I liked science as a child? I after I mean I after high school I got out of there, um, and then I went to college where I also didn't study science. So I liked science growing up. I thought it was cool and fun. I, that's about. Were you more into the sort of theory stuff, or did you like the experiments, or did you conduct your own experiments behind? <laughs> I loved experiments. I got really into the idea of science experiments. I remember we had to in. I think eighth grade, we had to like make some kind of vehicle that would move forward. And most people were making them out of mouse traps, right? Okay, like mouse spring, using cars. the spring in a mouse trap. Yeah. And I or they thought, were just like trapping a mouse and using the panic. To- <laughs> <laughs> now that is the way to do it. That is absolutely the way to do it. Um, but I tried to make a perpetual motion device as an eighth grader, <laughs> just using slinkies and sand. So it was like a very ambitious idea without any proper follow through. No, or or even scientific possibility. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. But it's one of those things where until you're until you know that you can't do it, how do you know if you can't do right? until you try? <laughs> totally. Like, no one so, else has well, done it yet, but that was the the four minute mile. Roger, Roger Bannister could have said the same thing. Yeah, and you know, at the time there were scientists who said that that was went against the laws of thermodynamics. <laughs> yes, it does. You can either create nor destroy uh Matter and humans cannot run more than fifty miles an hour for a mile. Yeah. <laughs> R.I.P. Roger Bannister, by the way. <laughs> was that recent? Yeah, like like I think so. I think it was like two weeks ago. Wow. Uh, I'll look this up while we're discussing more. How how did your slinky and sand vehicle? What how was how were those interacting with each other? What was the design? If you remember any of that? Yeah, it was like a picture a a cardboard cube, and then I somehow connected slinkies to four of the sides of the cube okay. so that in theory, it, as it started to go, it would keep going. And I, for uh, some reason, thought that by putting sand in it, it would help 
balance it so that it would keep tipping. <laughs> I, this was okay. not. This was not I, a good. I, I get. I get what you were going for. So, sure. the, so the idea is like the the cardboard thing would roll over, and as it mm-hmm. rolls over, that would make the slinky inside it topple over. Right. And then that movement would then tip the. A beautiful theory. Would then tip the cube further. You can just see it, right? Yeah. Yeah. It didn't work at all. Not even once. Would it even? It wouldn't even do one rotation. No. 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 <laughs> if you pushed it. No. And it rolled once. That wouldn't define. It wouldn't even get sense. half a rotation. Okay. It would sit there, and I could tip it over, and it would fall. That was it. <laughs> would it it would fall on its side because you only have. And, yeah, it would absolutely it, fall. It on would its actually side. fall yeah. like less far than an unconstrained <laughs> slinky. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, by adding technology to a slinky, I made it less effective. Did you think about a V two where you had six slinkies? So every face of the oh. cube has a slinky on it. You got the sand inside, and then it just wherever you push it, it'll just it'll roll. That's great forever. Yeah, that Maybe. that is that would be that done the it? way to do it. Um, Roger Bannister did. Yeah, he died on the third of March. Of, of this year. Of this year, just very recently. But also notable from our podcast, not only was he a keen and very successful and groundbreaking middle distance runner, mm-hmm. he uh, he was an amateur. He was an amateur athlete. That wasn't his passion. He was doing that on the site. He was a med- really? He was a doctor and a medical researcher. Whoa. He spent the next 40 years practicing medicine in the field of neurology. Uh, yeah, and he was um, quite accomplished in that field his major contribution to academic field was in the field to academic medicine was in the field of autonomic failure an area of neurology focusing on illnesses characterized by the loss of certain automatic responses of the nervous system for example elevated heart rate when standing up he ultimately published more than 80 papers mostly concerned with the automatic nervous system cardiovascular physiology and multiple system atrophy Damn. He Whoa. he edited Autonomic Failure, a textbook of clinical disorders of the autonomic nervous system, with C.J. Mathias, a colleague at St. Mary's, as well as five editions of Brain and Bannister's Clinical Neurology. And he said he was always more proud of his contribution to medicine than his running career. <laughs> That's uh, pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, if you had that medical career, I think you should absolutely be more proud of it. He said, I'd rather be remembered for my work in neurology than my running. If you offer me the chance to make a great breakthrough in the study of automatic nerve system... I would take that over the four-minute mile right away. I worked in medicine for 60 years. I ran for about eight. Wow. That's a good point. We look back he on sounds a little like bitter. Uh, <laughs> He's like, I guess... <laughs> I'm a medic! <laughs> Everyone just goes on about the fact that I was the best in the world at a thing right. that no one thought possible. <laughs> he was also the lead guitarist of Queen. Did you know that? I didn't. I didn't, I didn't know that until I read the article, yeah. Uh, and he played, Dolph- he played Ivan Drago. I'm sorry, damn it. Oh, yeah. Trying to think of other uh, crossover... Guests that we want to get because they're famous for both science and a second awesome thing. Oh, well, if you, if cool. if anyone has a contact with Roger Bannister, <laughs> let us know. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. There actually was another uh, sort of four-minute miley thing broken over the weekend, or a couple. Caleb Dressel is now officially the fastest swimmer of all time, and he broke 18 seconds in the 50 free, which is crazy, and he bro- broke 40 seconds in the 100 free, which is also wow. Uh, if you don't swim, it might not mean anything, but like those are just things I never thought I would live to see anybody do. Like, I think the 100 record stood at 41.8 for like 10 or 15 years, and now he's at 39.9. So good work, Caleb Dressel. Wow. Can't wait for the next three Olympics. Is. I, Mike, I'm calling it here. If he doesn't injure himself, he will beat Phelps's career medal count. Wow. Yeah. Um, I'm not a swimmer. 
But as a land-based person, I can do 100 meters much quicker than that. <laughs> Way faster than 39 <laughs> seconds. Yeah, I don't want to brag, but I can do it in like 20 <laughs> maximum. I wonder what the average person, if you just tell them to sprint 100, will do it in. You think 20 is like an average running? No, I think it's quicker than that. I reckon I, I, reckon I can probably... Like, World record is like nine point. It's nine. Or it's nine. No, it's it's low. Um, it's like nine point five one or something. It's ridiculous that Bolt Bolt has it by miles by, okay. um, by hundred meters standards, which means <laughs> he has it by milliseconds. <laughs> but he has it by a, more milliseconds than should be possible. Right. It's hang on, what is Bolt's record? It's it, I think it's nine point five one, and I only know this because we were talking about it three days ago in the office. And I think that puts you at like. 28 miles an hour or so or 27 or something so I bet the average person could I bet you tell the average person out of shape on the street to run 100 meters yep. they're, they're going to be about 20 seconds 9.58 9.58 seconds is what Usain Bolt did it in no I don't know I reckon I reckon 15 seconds is very doable for an average person isn't it uh, let me do some quick math on that am I wrong am I am I wrong let me see. Hang on, I'm going to look at the progression of the world of the 100 meters world record because a good way of checking is to see what was the world record in the like 1800s. 19, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like if it, like in the 19th century, what were people doing? And then add a couple of seconds to that, and that's probably what I'd do. Yeah, looking at the swimming one's interesting too because technique things changed a lot. Like Johnny Weissmuller, who played Tarzan, when he was swimming, he was the best in the world. That was like the 20s, right, I think. Right. And they would swim with their heads out of the water the whole time, which is like so obviously harder wow. to do and slower. That's insane. Put your head down, dude. Yeah. But uh, I guess among those people, he was the best. I would love a 30 for 30 on the guy who decided to keep his head submerged. Yeah. He's like, the, he's like the and uh, then Fosbury he just had of, his. Yeah. <laughs> and then he had the idea, what if he tries swimming without shoes? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, for decency's sake, they were all in pants. Full, full <laughs> pants until 1935. He removed his tie and swimming was never the same again. <laughs> <laughs> it was a gentleman's sport before. Like, people are protesting at the meets. Like, this used to be a... Yeah. Civilized thing and do up your waistcoat, goddammit, there are ladies watching. <laughs> um, all right. Out, okay, yeah. okay, so no, what's, what's you your know, prediction, Ian, for uh actually what are we what are we guessing? This isn't a provable thing we're guessing. We're just uh, No, but I well the the way to test it is to actually do it. So yeah, the world record now for the hundred meters has gone below has gone below ten seconds, and that was a big barrier to beat. Um in fact we first went below ten seconds in 1968 was the first sub 10 second 100 meters well that's kind of uh so in 50 years we've only dropped half a second yeah wow. and that and and that's what's making me re rethink our amounts because even going back to the 1800s we're still creeping up in the milliseconds it 1891 which is the earliest record they have here on wikipedia it was 10.8 seconds interesting in 18 Wow. So it's only changed at the elite level by like a second and a half, not even a second and a half, a second and a third. Which so, is a, sort of an argument for how obviously running is something that's innate and uh, doesn't require... Like, yeah, yeah, there's or, only or an s- argument against swimming being uh, an innate strength of humans. <laughs> if we had to figure out these technique things and the drops came so yeah, big... Yeah, how, mu- how much... What was the... Hun- what was the- 100 meter swimming record in like oh, the 1800s man uh well it doesn't go back that far but i think 100 years ago it was the 100 was like a solid 10 seconds slower more than that even i think uh, right now cesar cielo has it at like 46 something and i think it was in like the 56 57 range but here we go world record progression 100 meters freestyle 
and you said this guy's just beaten it again. Well, okay, but it's the difference yards. Is it's yards. If you converted it, it's way faster than Cielo though, and and also Caleb owns the top ten, the top ten fastest fifty yard freeze all belong to this same guy, Caleb Dressel. Like, and he won by a second. The nearest person to him at NCAA's Blaze was in fifty yards was a second behind him, which is a huge amount of time. Okay, so it's forty six ninety one is his record. Caesar Cielo. Uh, and if you go back as early as they have it, which is 1905, it was a minute 05. Oh, shit. So that's a pretty huge drop. Yeah. yeah, that's a massive drop. That's a big change to swimming. And that presumably is a lot because of technique. Putting your head down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Taking off your shoes. Put your head down, man. Uh, hang on. Let's see, if the, the women, let's see what the women's progression is as well. Because that'll also give you an idea of what is possible and uh, what is fast and slow. Women, 100 meter progression. Uh, this is for running. All right, so the current female world record is 10.8. Oh, no, hang on. Wait a second. 10.49, which is Flojo mm-hmm. in 1988. So that hasn't even changed in three decades. So Flojo. Flojo. Yeah, Florence Griffith Joyner in, in 10.49 seconds. But if you go way back when to the to 1922, which is the earliest it was recorded... It was. Do you want to take a guess of what they were running at in 1922? I mean, I can't see why men's progression would have been slower than women. I'm going to say it was uh, 12.7. 13.6. That's okay. what I was going to say. However, 15 days later, it was broken uh, by Mary Lines and 12.8. So you were off by one millisecond. Uh, okay. So, yeah. Wow. Okay. So still like an, a, a turn of the century or thereabouts female runner is still beating 14 seconds so i reckon i reckon me a slow runner i i, I think i could probably hit around 15 I still think 15 i think so well, i just do the math on that real quick to, to... i could definitely do i i'm definitely beating 20 seconds i'm just I'm t- giving you that right now i'm beating 20 seconds <laughs> yeah i think that's it's safe to say so if you're going i'm saying like i can i can run i feel pretty confident that i can run 100 meters quicker than Usain Bolt can run 200 meters like he's ludicrously fast but, but I don't, don't think, think he is twice that. as fast as me okay let's just do some quick math so a four minute mile is 15 miles an hour um, every minute you're going 400 meters so that's 50, yeah, 15 seconds for 100 meters is exactly 15 miles an hour so I don't know I don't know how to, but I, I, I don't know what 15 miles an hour feels like you, you basically you're saying you think you can run 15 miles an hour for a very for a small amount of time. time. Yeah. yeah. Was my math right in that? Uh, yeah, because thereabouts. Because Usain Bolt's top speed... Usain Bolt's top speed was 27.8 miles per hour. Okay. Seen during the final 100-meter sprint uh, at the World Championships in Berlin. So... How about this? Homework assignment. Average probably science listener. If, if you think of yourself as average... You are average, and uh, we want you to go out to your local high school track. I just want to say all of our listeners are above average. (laughs) Right, but you know who you are. Uh, I want you to go out to your local high school track, have your friend take out the uh, iPhone stopwatch, get your 100-meter time, and email probablyscience.gmail.com or tweet (laughs) at probablyscience. Where's our nearest track? Andy, you must know where our track is. I tried. My brothers and I had a bet uh, a couple years ago. We were all going to try to get in shape, and then we we lived in different cities, and we were going to send video of each other doing... 
either 400 or 100 or something and see who was the fastest wood brother. <laughs> and I had the hardest time finding unlocked high school tracks to access <laughs> in the LA area. Well, what do you even Google to find that? Because that's... I just went to high school. Yeah, I went to some of the valley and I was surprised you couldn't even get in because growing up there was like, I think every high school in my hometown or I guess both high schools uh, the tracks were just like out in the open. You could. Just, what about like colleges? Like, oh, those, those are, are probably even more locked down, right? I didn't not try that. Hard, athletics but... clubs that have track. I guess you need like a lot of space. Yeah, if you want to get in a real track in cities like this, it's it's surprisingly not that easy. I bet in Middle America, it's a lot easier. I also realize I'll be like running in Converse because I don't have any right. appropriate footwear. <laughs> oh, yeah, all the better. In fact, don't send the times. Take an iPhone video of your runs and we can also, like, <laughs> we can verify it ourselves and pre- preferably you're in jeans <laughs> and send, either post that, either tweet that or uh, email it to us. I want to see what are, what the average probably science listener's uh, foot speed is. Yeah, I lost a few seconds because the lid came off my thermos. <laughs> <laughs> or if you want to swim 100, just go swim 100 yards and uh, send that video also. How do you think that Bolt's ability would transfer to other sports? Like, do, do you think that he would be um, a an impressive swimmer, for example? Oh, I don't know. Because I, I was thinking like other non-just racing sports because I'm sure he'd be useful in something like as a running back or a wide receiver. Sure, yeah, yeah. Right. That's part of, we had the author of a book about sports excellence and genetics and things called uh, the sports gene on and part of the reason he's a, a runner is because he grew up in Jamaica where that is like the highest profile sport. Running? Yeah. Like the national, uh, the the countrywide high school championship track meet is the biggest sporting event in Jamaica. Yeah, he was talking about this. David David Epstein's the name of the author, and he was talking about how um, uh, the reason why places like Jamaica and Trinidad produce so many elite runners is partly because the people who come from there are physically just... They have the right type of fast twitch muscle mass to really be incredible sprinters. But the other reason is that if you're someone who is that fast at running in North America, you're going to get selected by a football scout. Right, and if you're right. that yeah. fast at running in Europe, there's a good chance you'll get selected by a soccer right. scout. That makes sense. Um, so yeah, it's specialization partly. So Yeah, and whereas in, in Jamaica, because that is the elite sport, if, right. someone, if some kid, you go like, Jesus, that kid's fast, he then gets taken away or she gets taken away and trained by the, the running coach and they... Wow. That's what they specialize in. Yeah. That is wild. I did not know that. I yeah. would love to go to that, right? that be, meet, actually. That sounds cool. I wonder if people like heckling runners they don't <laughs> like, and if there's tailgate in the parking lot beforehand. <laughs> but it is remarkable, because that there aren't that many... A lot of those... There are like very not highly populated areas that dominate in the Summer Olympics. Yeah, that's a good point. Because... Yeah, what is the population of Jamaica? That's a good point. I don't know what the population of Jamaica is, but certainly, like, Trinidad is not... Maybe I'm wrong about this, but... Let me see. Uh, Trinidad Tobago population is... Come on, slow internet. Or rather, slow computer. Yeah, Trinidad population is 1.36 million. Which is like a mid, small to mid-sized city. Mm-hmm. I mean, a decent-sized city. D- a decent-sized yeah, city, yeah, but yeah, the entire population of Jamaica is two point eight million. Again, that's less, substantially less than Los Half Angeles. Of the wow, city of Los Angeles this is proper. So, if yeah. just one, I, I don't know what the population of say Chicago is, but like if Chicago just dominated the Summer Olympics for right? yeah. 
Yeah, generally just constantly one city in America has all the world records for sprinting. That's Uh, insane. So uh, he can run fast. Caleb Dressel can swim fast. Uh, You know who else can go pretty fast? Is this going to be the sad story? No, no, no. God, I forgot we're going to cover that later. Oh, no, God. Um, Maybe not. We can't because you said that. Um, No, a a self-declared flat earth researcher and DIY steam rocket enthusiast, Mad Mike Hughes. Oh, God, yeah. Finally managed to prove the haters wrong about his ability to blast himself 1,875 feet into the sky without being crushed or scalded to death. Oh, my goodness. Did Did you say steam rocket? Steam rocket, yes, is in a rocket uh, that's propelled by steam. Whoa. I, I thought this was complete just self-promotion bullshit that was never going to happen, and he did it. I mean, like, you know, it's not like he went into orbit or something, but 1,800 feet's a pretty decent... Uh, it's really funny that that immediately we're thinking of what he didn't do. Like, <laughs> like he did something that I never would have fathomed would have been possible, and we're like, I mean, he didn't get into orbit, but... <laughs> It is cool that he did manage to do that. <laughs> like, like, we won't be happy until this man shoots himself into orbit. Did you touch the sun or yeah, just go right? around it? Yeah, yeah that, that quickly. With this effectively spring cigar tube <laughs> yeah. mechanism. Oh, man. Wait, he's so, just outside of Vegas. Forrest drove past his thing a while back. Forrest Shaw? Yeah, friend really? of the show Forrest Shaw. You might remember him from the Manatee episode a few months ago. But... Forrest was doing some shows out in Vegas with Jim, and his camp is just out there. Forrest went for a little day trip and drove past this guy's house because we, we're a little bit. We've been fascinated with this guy in the Jeffrey's office. We're talking about doing stuff with him. <laughs> here's, here's my pet theory. Have we talked about him on the show before, or I, have I just talked about him in the office? It up. Because I, my, he, the flat earth thing is kind of what got him. I've talked about him a lot, and now I can't remember whether I've had this conversation with you or just with the other writers. Go ahead and start it. We'll see. <laughs> but, like, my theory is because he, he's he's made several attempts at this before, mm-hmm. and he's injured himself fairly badly in the process. Okay, and and a lot of these earlier attempts predate his whole flat Earth plan. Which my my theory is he needs funding. He he really he's in it for the rocketry. Like he's in it to be shot into space. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. And my my feeling is he has recently glommed onto the flat Earth thing as a good source of revenue. <laughs> Because, and publicity. But I don't get if the people... First of all, I think most people who are worried about flat earthers are missing that I don't think most flat earthers genuine... I think most of them think it's a funny thing to pretend that they believe. Oh, it. not anymore. I, I, I believe... Back in the yeah. day... Yeah. Oh, again, we've definitely talked about this on yes, the show before. I, so now we're arguing we... whether or not flat earthers exist. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> we're a flat earth conspiracy conspiracy. There. Yeah. It's a double conspiracy, yeah. I don't think there are as many people as, as people are worried about that genuinely believe it. I think there are a lot that identify as that because it's a funny, trolley thing to do. I think there's some of that. And definitely the original guy, and this is what we've definitely talked about on the show before, the original guy from decades ago who was running the flat earth society before youtube came along and really blew it up as a thing (laughs) he was definitely trolling like he was he was in it because he loved an argument and he was really good at making that argument so it's like ad hoc things like you bring up a thing and i'll just find one specific thing yeah and he and and also people would go into that argument particularly back in the day as well when this wasn't even a it was such a ludicrous concept and and such a niche thing so people would go in with absolute confidence but having not really put any work in to think about how they were going right. to prove it. Because they thought right. it was so and easy to prove. And we get steamrolled by this guy who spent 
years perfecting his bullshit arguments and I, he was in it for the sport he was in it for the yeah. fun of it but now i know there are definitely think- okay. no because i've i've got friends who are conspiracy theorists and i've spoken to conspiracy theorists and you reach a, there's like a tipping point where just you, you reach a certain point where it just you you just open the door and like come come one come all like everything <laughs> comes on in so this Man. guy, he, he put the words research flat earth on the side of his rocket, <laughs> but I can't see flat earthers wanting to contribute money towards this because 1800 feet is, uh, I believe the, um, whatever replaced the world trade center. What's that called? One world freedom trade center? tower. Freedom or tower? Uh, it's one. It, yeah. It's, it's one world trade center is the name of the tower. Right. And I think it's 1776 feet tall, you know, the year that the country was founded uh so you could just go to the top of that building and have the same view you could from here so without no, risking a very high chance of death <laughs> so i don't know how, how anybody is thinking that their money is going towards helping prove or i don't know flat earth theories. but again whether this guy believes it or not he might he might also be a genuine flat earth person that i don't know but like i'm pretty sure he's more i'm pretty sure he's more about the rocketry like yeah. he's much more into the rocketry than the proof of the but flat it's just earth. interesting that that's a way to get funds because i wouldn't think flat earthers want to do much evidence gathering because they'll be worried that it's going to show they're wrong but can i go on a rocket tangent yes please, please. oh please by okay all means. uh dick tracy not the not the two words that you thought were about to come out of my mouth <laughs> okay uh dick tracy the the guy that made dick tracy charles gould okay um started putting this little phrase on the comic strips. I got really into Dick Tracy last year for some reason. And <laughs> last I, year? That's, that's the bit that was yeah. really more surprising. <laughs> I just had like a month where all I, I, I just learned everything about Dick Tracy. So I, for like a decade, every one of the comic strips would have the phrase, uh, the country that controls magnetism controls the universe. <laughs> on that strip and I was like what what why did this start happening at first I thought it was hidden in the artwork or it was in someone's dialogue bubble at some point it was not in the dialogue and it wasn't hidden it was just like a little like like on the little box Uh, like it it just kind of in in there it wasn't like hidden it was just like and by the way as if like buy US bonds or something like that but instead (laughs) it was the country that controls magnetism controls the universe so I started researching why he was doing that and I guess uh, he was based in Chicago, worked for the tr- Chicago Tribune, and there were some people that were really not thrilled with the fact that we were um, hiring Nazi scientists after the war. Oh, that's right. A lot of our rocketry. Yeah. Right. And they were, and they were uh, developing rockets that we were hoping would get us to space. Mm-hmm. And so he was part of this small group that believed we need to get away from using rocket material because we're relying on Nazis to develop it for us. And instead we should get to the moon using magnetism. Oh, by using magnets. And one, one version of what was pitched was like having a giant cable going from earth to the moon that would like somehow, um, a thing that you would get on would go up to the moon using magnetism. I'm sure that wasn't the only idea, but that was like one version of how you might do that. There are two things that are kind of related to what you're talking about that are things real scientists have suggested. One being a space elevator, which involves having something, having a cable to space, but it has to stay in the same place. So it has to stretch out to something that's in geosynchronous orbit. And the moon obviously moves around the earth and doesn't stay in the same place. But but the geostationary orbit is extremely high. 
Right, but the it's, other still, thing is, it's still a thing people have talked about yes. doing, is having this string go up to the point that you would have, it would have to be crazy long. But there's also uh, the railgun idea for rocketry, which would involve which would involve magnetism as a way to launch something into orbit, because you can get things going super fast with a track full of uh, successive magnets, and if you have it angled up, you know, something could just be shot so quickly. Which which is the same way that if you've been on a roller coaster that, you know, sometimes roller coasters now will just, you'll be parked and then they'll just instantly go incredibly fast. Yeah. That's, that works by railgun technology as well. Yeah. It's electromagnetic propulsion. It's not that crazy an idea. I mean, it's pretty, for the time, it's pretty crazy, but, uh, I mean, like, he was definitely not pulling it totally out of nowhere, but it was also, like, a major stretch where rockets were clearly the way that was going to get us yeah. to the moon. Yeah, but he was anti-your your, your Werner von Braun's people like that right. who came over from... Um, and rail gun, helped. Railguns are also uh, considered as weaponry. I think, I think it's the same technology for roller coasters. I'm pretty sure, and I seem to remember learning about it when we were researching for the popular TV show How to Build... How to build everything? Is it everything? I I never remember the real the title. title before we went to air with it. How to build everything? When we were working on it, it was called How to Build a Rocket Ship, and then at the Whoa. last minute they changed it. The network changed it to either How to Build Everything or Anything, and I can never yeah. remember which. Okay, Whoa. should we get into this? I guess we should get into this. Yeah, because this was one of there was some. Well, the sad news was a couple of years ago, but now there's been like a criminal conviction, yeah. or at least a criminal uh, a charge has been brought. I don't think the trial has happened yet. But this was... I'll back, should I just back it up to before any of this happened so then the reveal is after the, the, the preamble? Yeah, of, so this uh, was one of your stories. This was something that you personally researched. <clears throat> yeah, so we, got, we, we were tasked with, with coming up with maybe 40 different ideas for segments for this show on how to build the world's most interesting things. They would also be visually engaging, so you get things like jetpacks, a Mars rover. Like, but, but it was a like while, a mixture of big and small things. There was like rockets, but there was also like how, how a... Um, uh, a casino slot machine was made oh, and nice. like stuff like that but then I feel like after a while we were you running did pipe out organ? of pipe organ pipe organ is actually kind of interesting yeah I forgot who came up with that idea but like so I think you and I were running dry after after we'd gotten to 30 or so things because like how do you top you know a Falcon 9 uh, so then another guy on the show suggested what about the world's tallest water slide and I just rolled my eyes so hard I'm like it's a science show. We're not going to have any interesting science to show with this. It's just like you go up to a height, you've got this potential energy, it's converted to kinetic energy, and then you just have, I guess, like just different coefficients of drag, but the water <laughs> reduces water friction. Yeah. It's just not that interesting. But we were out of ideas, so I, I had to go research the world's tallest water slide. So I started to dig around, and I found that one had interestingly just been built the year earlier, I think, in Kansas City, called Verrucht at the Schlitterbahn Park. And, and it turns um, out it was very interesting. It was very interesting indeed. Uh, this was late 2015, and I'll, I'll link to, there was an article in Grantland, the sports blog, um, interviewing uh, there, there are two guys behind this part. We should put a maybe a little spoiler thing at this point. That this, okay, this, this is a sad this story is gonna, and a shitty story. It's it very, very sad. Very maybe shitty. skip ahead ten minutes at this point yeah. if you don't want to hear something. <laughs> uh, but it's also on the front of like CNN.com right now, so I mean it, it is in the news. Um, so it was a Grantland article about these two guys who are sort of the self-styled Jobs and Wozniak of of water parks. This guy Jeff Henry and John Schooley. And Jeff Henry is the designer with like no engineering background he's the steve jobs he's the idea man he's like i want to make the world's tallest water slide it's going to be crazy and then um schoolie was the one implementing it 
interestingly, also didn't have an engineering background. <laughs> but um, so it's a very long Grantland article. It's interesting. So I got in touch with their publicist and through her eventually to um, let me see my I'm bringing up my my Google Doc from 2015 on water slide research. Oh, you actually have your original research from that's when you spoke to the guys. That's what's crazy about it. Okay, so throughout this entire interview, I'm trying to get a lot of detailed scientific information that'll be good for a science channel show. And the showrunner was like, you got to give me some stuff about how the science behind the design of it. Like, you know, like how did they model it? How did they, you know, was... Because <laughs> every, other, every other person we spoke to when we were researching this, normally there was someone who really knew their shit. And, you know, you, I remember talking to like the Stanford University and, the, and there was like Stanford, Stanford and Caltech or U, UCLA uh, solar car teams where they were like they knew their stuff and my friend Lars right. who works for SpaceX was asking him about rockets and stuff <laughs> and he was like you got, these are real scientists who, or like in some cases student scientists in some cases like adult working scientists who really know that knew their stuff yeah and you just kept hitting dead ends when you were trying to get information out of them right yeah it was just nothing that technical I'll just read it without me changing any of the wording just the notes I was rapidly trying to take as I was on the phone with the guy who designed this ride who again turns out doesn't have an engineering background um, so yeah, they, they decided the, the goal was to build the fall, tallest and fastest slide in the world designed to be that would have been relatively easy to make just the tall w- part, but they decided to add a hump to have a second drop. So it drops <laughs> from the greatest height of any slide ever. And then there's a second hump. Um, and you could probably see the potential for problems with that. Right. Right. Okay. So on some trials, uh, yeah, the difficulty of that was to do it safely on some trials, the raft hit the top of the hump after the drop and flew 160 to 170 feet through the air. Oh my goodness. Uh, so the design problem was it's easy to go down and back up, but they had to keep the raft on the slide. Uh, they built a half-scale model because no one knew the drag coefficients. There was no way to pre-calculate. Again, the words of of the person who I was talking with. <laughs> uh, there's aerodynamic drag, static, and moving friction. They built the full-scale model and saw they designed incorrectly. And I think you can still find videos, unless they took them down, of them putting... like sacks of flour in these rafts and putting it over a model of it and flying off the second hump. Um, so they designed the uphill portion of the ride so that heavier riders would carry over the second hump with a velocity that would be less than what would make them leave the slide, but then the lighter riders wouldn't make it over the top. So they put nozzles on the uphill that blasts them up, lets them extend the range of weights that would work. Uh, the more mass you have in the boat, the less water, the less the water will actually accelerate you. Um, and again, I have notes like it was so much bigger than past ones that they didn't have background data to predict what might happen. Um, unlike a roller coaster where the weight of people doesn't affect the coaster much, you've got a big variance with three people of various body weights in the raft. So I should describe this this slide. So it's just a slide. It's not like a roller coaster with any kind of – it's an open trough. But and you, you're in a raft. It's a three-person raft that goes down it. Yeah. And, and, and the, the three people sit in a row, so they're, they're, it's like a column of three people sitting in this raft with like three seats, one behind, each behind each other. And each of those seats has a Velcro seat belt, and Velcro, the brand, came on record after this story broke to say that uh, they in no way endorsed the use of Velcro for any kind of safety <laughs> restraints. And they said the only place you'll find Velcro in a car is holding the uh, floor mats on the floor. <laughs> like, like, we are not a safety harness company. But the bigger concern, I mean, there's a bunch of concerns, but like, I didn't talk about this when it happened. Uh, so there was an accident in 2016 and I sort of wanted to talk about it in the podcast, but I was like, I don't want like my notes to be subpoenaed or to, I, I don't know. I just didn't, 
it's not a funny thing. This is a comedy and science podcast, but it's crazy to look back on these notes and to look back on the design. It was so obviously horribly designed. So nothing's holding the raft onto the slide. There's something holding you onto the raft. But all that means is if the raft leaves the slide, <laughs> you all will go with it. Like th- right. yeah. there's no logic to that. And- yeah, and then and then to keep it safe, the entire slide was enclosed, and this is what ended up being the rope. The, the, was enclosed with this netting that was held in place with these U-shaped rings, like basically just oh U-shaped God. bars. Yeah, so like every ten feet or so, there is a metal hoop that holds the net in place, and obviously, if you left the slide on that second hump, you wouldn't be going perpendicular to the slide and like straight into the netting. You'd still be going more along the right. length of the slide. And therefore, what would happen? And that's exactly you what would, happens. And now there was like a, there was a straight up fatality because someone just hit the metal at high speed. So they have they had such like. But it turns out they they hadn't done any of the calculations. They hadn't oh goodness. adhered to any of the standards just, that write that since people since various people who work for theme parks and um, and water parks who actually design other rides have gone. No, there is a whole host of mathematics and engineering and safety standards that we follow and modeling that we carry out to test this stuff, and yeah. you did none of this. It was like the jobs in Wozniak were more like the jobs and jobs uh, of the design. And it was also <laughs> in Kansas, which it turns out was like one of the more lax states for, for uh, amusement parks for some reason. But yeah, they had, they had in place their own rules for a weight minimum and weight maximum for the three riders. And there were these two little kids who wanted to ride and neither one, they weren't big, they weren't, they didn't weigh enough to go on together. And I think the ride operator like reluctantly said, okay, you guys can go one at a time. I'll pair each of you with two adults. So this like 70 pound kid was seated in front with a 300 and a 250 pound woman behind her. And there was like a 20 mile an hour headwind. So on that second hump, I know this is not funny at all. I'm not making light of it. I'm just saying like, there's a reason why certified engineers are important and why STEM jobs are crucial. Uh, So yeah, the the raft caught air uh, as it took that second hill and the, the boy died in a very gruesome way. And uh, it's been crazy watching the news because like, even when it first came out, they were just like uh, a neck injury. I'm like, it was a decapitation. It was a straight up decapitation from this thing that was supposed to be the safety mechanism. That, like logically, there's no possible way. It could. And so I've just been, I felt so guilty about it because I'm like, should I have seen this when, when we were talking about it? Because like, it seems so obvious in retrospect. But then I, as I'm seeing, like the indictment just came out today that the guy I talked to has been indicted. The park's been, indi- is, uh, you know. Yeah, also... You, but there were whistleblowers at the you park can't, the whole time also. Oh, really? And yeah, yeah. A lot of people, there were a lot of other issues with the wow. ride. They just like swept under the rug. But I was just, in 2016, I was just like, fuck, should I have been able to tell? No, but the, you, you could tell from like a 25-minute interview with a guy across no, the phone. but they had so many point-of-view videos. If you look at the Grantland article we'll link to, the very first thing that comes up when you load that page is a point-of-view video going down this slide. And you can see, you see these supports, and it's just like... Oh no! Yeah, so obvious. Those things aren't going to save you, and they would they would do the opposite if the raft ever decided to come off the ground. So yeah, what 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 I thought was the most boring segment I'd ever been assigned ended up being the most interesting yeah, for the worst possible idea. way. Yeah, so that part of the slide you're seeing right yeah. here is where things went wrong. It's just none of my none of my segments have killed people, to no. my knowledge. I yeah. mean, I guess like slot machines are a slow death, right? Right. <laughs> a slow emotional zapping of the of the soul. But I mean, I hope. I guess I just 
you'd hope something good comes of this, which is a thing that you would think is obvious, which is uh, when th- people's lives are at stake, employ actual engineers. Yeah. <laughs> My God. Oh, by the way, I forgot to say on the previous story, thanks, John Vink, who sent in the, the Rocketeer story. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, John. And, uh, uh, you know, my heart goes out to the family of that boy who died. It's, it's horrible. And um, it's just crazy that that all those things came together the way they did. And also sort of predictable in retrospect. <laughs> Wildly predictable. Yeah. Hey. Uh, Something cheerier? I don't know, because the story I've got up right now is skin spray helps U.S. women's flesh-eating bacteria wounds, which is a the- positive story, but also kind of gross. Wow. We could do the alien baby if that's... Uh, we, or is that also too cool? We could also do the alien baby. I mean, this is a cool story, though. This is a an experimental skin spray has given a U.S. woman back her skin after drug-resistant bacteria devoured most of the flesh on her left side. In January, Kristen Lipinski developed flu-like symptoms and pain under her armpit. Doctors at Maricopa Integrated Health System of Hospital in Phoenix found she was infected with a vicious flesh-eating strain of Streptococcus bacteria. When we took her to the operating room, we realized it was worse than we thought, said her treating doctor, Kevin Foster. The bacteria had spread from her armpit down most of her left torso and her arm. To prevent further spread, they cut away the infected tissue. It was so deep, they went down to muscle. So normally, large skin wounds are patched up using skin grafts from another part of the body, but because she'd already lost a third of her skin, she couldn't afford to lose more. So running out of options, they... The doctor appealed to the FDA for compassionate use of an experimental skin spray called Recell, which is currently being trialed as a treatment for severe burn wounds. Um, This is slightly grim, by the way. I don't know whether this is targeted advertising or a pure coincidence, but there's an ad in the middle of this article for only you can prevent forest fires. So thank you, Smokey. (laughs) Oh, you don't have Adware or uh, Adblock on? I guess not on this computer. Um, this is a borrowed laptop that uh, I'm currently using. <laughs> to make the spray, doctors take a small patch of skin from another part of the patient's body. A special enzyme is used to break the tissue into individual skin cells, which are then sprayed in a fine mist over the wound. Whoa. Yeah. Once they settle, the individual cells divide and spread until they join up to cover the wound. Normally, a wound heals from the edges, which takes time, but this allows it to heal, heal everywhere at once, <laughs> says Michael Perry at Vita Medical, which is the biotech company behind it. Wow. It's pretty that's cool. Like, yeah. Just spray on skin. I mean, this is that's sci-fi stuff, right? Foster's team began treating Lipinski with resell on the 23rd of Feb after getting approval from the FDA. They used it in combination with a meshed autograft, which is a piece of skin they took from a thigh and pierced with small holes to make it stretch over a larger area. When they took off the dressing a week later, they were shocked to find the wound had already 95% healed. Whoa. The skin is a bit red and bumpy, but Foster believes it'll settle down over the next few weeks. The results are far better than would have expressed from a, expected from a meshed autograft alone, says Foster. We think the skin spray made a real difference. Seems like a pretty big breakthrough. Am I, am I wrong? Yeah. Potentially, cool. yeah. They don't know how she got the bacteria in the first place. It might... Uh, there's some evidence that people's genes make them more vulnerable to attack, but we don't know for sure, says the doctor. And about, I don't know, about 600 to 1,200 people in the U.S. are affected by flesh-eating disease, also known as necrotizing fasciitis, every year, and a quarter don't survive. So, fuck, well done, that medical team. I've got a theory about what might have happened. What do you, what's your theory? I don't know if she's a, a fan of, of taking baths over showers, uh, but... I don't know either, nor do I know what story you're going for right now, so (laughs) please carry on. If she happened to bathe with a rubber ducky... Oh, I do know now. Ian, did you grow up with any bath toys back in your bath days? Are you you a bath guy, Curly? (laughs) I am not. Every now and then, you know, a bath is great. 
I but just, for the most part, I haven't done it. So now it's just like, oh, you mean like sitting down while you shower? It's just <laughs> the idea of it. It's like, who likes a bath? Um, but uh, growing up, did you have a rubber ducky when you would? Uh, I don't think I did. I, I'm, I'm very familiar with the concept. I can picture bath toys. We had this thing that was like a scuba diver that you would put these little powdered pellets into and it must have been like an Alka-Seltzer kind of thing and it would right. shoot out the back so it would make it like move through the oh, water kind of. that's cool. I don't know if I actually had a rubber ducky but it's probably good that I didn't because uh, this has been making the rounds online the last, last couple of days. Um, they're pretty gross. A new study finds that rubber <laughs> ducky toys are teeming with bacteria and fungi. Uh, researchers analyzed the microbes growing inside 19 real bath toys taken with permission from households where the toys had been well loved. The scientists also set up some controlled experiments in which they started with new bath toys and subjected them to various conditions. Some of these new bath toys were periodically placed into a bath with clean water, while others were placed in dirty water after a bath. The results are pretty gross. Upon dissecting the bath toys, the researchers found dense and slimy biofilms on the object's inner surfaces. The toys contained between 5 million and 75 million bacteria cells per square centimeter. The researchers also found fungi species in 60% of the real bath toys and in all of the, quote, dirty water toys. And there are some pictures of these things cut in half, uh, showed the gross shit growing on the inside of the ducts. Um, exactly which bacteria or fungi appeared and their abundance tended to vary from household to household. But overall, the researchers found potentially harmful bacteria, including Legionella and Pseudomonas aeruginosa on 80% of the toys involved. That sounds Whoa. like the sexiest of all the bacteria. <laughs> yeah. Aeruginosa. Legionella is uh, involved in Legionnaire's disease, which is a really interesting disease. Do you know the history of it? Yes, to an extent. Like, they found out all these people in the British Legion were falling ill, right? With this mysterious disease. No, no. It was is an American thing. It was at... Uh, after a meeting of um, let me bring up the article make sure I'm not there was a great podcast episode about it I think on 99% Invisible because it ended up being a design related thing that caused it mm. uh, basically it, there was a building that had an HVAC system like a air, heating ventilation air conditioning system where the used air was vented at the top of this building that had a gabled roof and they find out that find out everyone that came down with this disease, and like seven people died, I think, of this thing that would become known as Legionnaire's disease, had been at this Foreign Legion meeting. And they'd been, I think, like smokers, and they stood out in front of the building for some reason, and the air from the ventilation system That's right. would roll down the, the roof, and they inhaled this air that had come from, basically, it's like standing water can develop this bacteria, and if it becomes airborne and you inhale it, it's deadly, but it was like a crazy amount of forensics to figure out the, what these people had in common, that they'd stood Whoa. in this one place next to this one building that had a certain kind of venting of its air where it would run down off the roof. But um, yeah, look up Legionnaire's disease on, I believe it's 99% Invisible, it's a real, although I just spoiled the ending, but it's... Uh, While we're also talking about... It was the American, 1976 American Legion Convention in Philadelphia. Ah, uh, American Legion, okay. While we're also talking about um, bath-type problems... Are you aware that scientists have discovered that certain essential oils in hygiene products may make boys grow breasts? Uh, hmm. Are those related to, like, the phthalates? P-H-T-H? I don't know. Uh, but essential oils from plants that are touted as having are touted as having many beneficial properties, but just because they're natural doesn't mean they're harmless, as I hope many of our listeners are, <laughs> are aware. Two commonly used plant oils seem to mimic female hormones in the body, occasionally causing boys to grow breasts. 
Chemicals from lavender are often used in toiletries for their scent and said to aid relaxation. And tea tree oil is a mild antiseptic and a common ingredient of children's hair products as it's claimed to prevent head lice, although there's little evidence to show that works. I thought tea tree oil was in lots of adult things. Just it is. Uh, oh, absolutely. It's, it's good for... A, it, it's used for various antiseptic properties. Yeah. Uh, it's meant to be good for getting rid of spots as well. But both spots? of the... Spots? Yeah. Meaning... Like sort of pimples. Oh, oh. Okay. Uh, but both of these may have side effects. In 2007... Doctors reported three cases of prepubescent boys who had started developing small breasts despite having the expected hormone levels for their sex and age. Breast growth, growth in all three boys began when they started using products such as soap or shampoo that contained lavender or tea tree oils. A similar effect has been reported with a lavender cologne popular with Hispanic communities in the U.S. However, tests have suggested that lav- on rats have suggested that lavender oil has no such effect. To investigate this, Kenneth Korak of the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences in Durham, North Carolina, and his team have been investigating eight chemicals that must be present in a product for it to be marketed as containing either of these plant oils. When applied to human breast cancer cells in the lab, depending on the test used, at least seven of these chemicals change the activity. That's the breast cancer sound effect that Andy has for his phone. (laughs) Uh, Change the activity of genes that normally respond to estrogen or estrogen, which pronunciation are we going for this time, the team will tell a meeting of the Endocrine Society in Chicago on Monday. Many of these substances are also listed as components of other plant oils. He says girls may also be susceptible to the hormone-disrupting effect, but any breast growth in girls could be mistaken for early puberty. I I missed part of that. What did you say when they applied it to... Uh, breast cancer, cancer cells, cells, and it changed the activity of the genes that normally respond to estrogen. For the better or for the worse? I think just respond. Oh, okay. Just just general response. So, uh, what is safe to put on your body now? What is... I know uh, phthalates are bad, parabens are bad, tea tree oil is bad now. I just rub um, myself with sand. Okay, just sand. What's, what's your regimen? <laughs> I sand bathe. <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to have to start trying that. I, I, I like that a lot. I think uh, sand is probably more effective than whatever I've been doing. Yeah. I I mean, honestly, I don't know what you can safely assume is. And then they have... Well, this- it does say, like, a little bit of breast growth. It doesn't say, like, there's negative effects beyond that. Okay. So, I mean, who doesn't like a little breast growth? Now yeah. Um, but haven't you heard that... Um, what else is like this? That's just in everything, so you can't avoid it. I don't know. I don't want to be one of those people It's like, well, everything's going to kill you, so smoke them if you got them. Like, I know there are riskier things than others, but, uh, like, I think it's silly that law we have in California where things have to be marked as having potentially carcinogenic ingredients because it's, you see it everywhere. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it doesn't the, even mean right. anything. It's really, clearly there was just some ballot measure in, <laughs> it, I don't even remember what it is, but every, every store, every restaurant, <laughs> every public place seems to have a sign that they have to have by law on the wall that says in accordance with whatever section like proposition whatever this thing we must notify you that this building contains chemicals known by the state of california to cause cancer which is yeah, is a nonsense everywhere means it's you're like okay meaningless it's yeah completely there's no different like color coding for when it's worse like you could be standing in a fucking cigarette factory with someone blowing smoke <laughs> in your face and they have the same sign on the wall as like a panera bread or something uh, known to, here we go. Contains chemicals known to the state of California. That's what I started googling, and it auto completed. Proposition sixty-five. Good work, guys. It's 
clearly, again, someone just got enough money to put a ballot measure going there. So California Proposition 65, also called the Safe Drinking Water and Toxic Enforcement Act, was enacted in 1986, intended to help Californians make informed decisions about protecting themselves from chemicals known to cause cancer, birth defects, or other reproductive harm. As part of the law, the state is required to publish a list of chemicals that are known to the state to cause cancer or reproductive toxicity. The list is updated at least once a year and now contains about 800 different chemicals. The complete list can be found on the California Office of Environmental Health Hazard Assessment website. Some of the substances listed by them could affect the reproductive system of men and or women. Others are thought to cause cancer. Scientists classify all of these cancer-related substances as at least probable carcinogens, meaning they might cause cancer in some people, but not all of them are known carcinogens known to cause (laughs) cancer by groups and experts outside the state of California. This means not every compound labeled as a possible cancer-causing substance has been proven to the worldwide scientific community to cause cancer. This is such so a it's nonsense. Just a meaningless sign. Yeah, as part of the law, businesses selling products to people in California must provide clear and reasonable warnings before knowingly exposing people to any chemical on the list, unless the level expected of exposure would pose no significant cancer risk. This warning is often found on the, in the form of a label on the product or its packaging. The, the law defines no significant risk as a level of exposure that would cause no more than one extra case of cancer in 100,000 people over a 70-year lifetime. It's a pretty low bar, a pretty ho- difficult bar not to surpass. Right. Yeah. Therefore, the sign is everywhere. It's lead-containing wire. Electrical wires such as computer cables, power cords, and holiday lights sold in California are slightly different from the labels on other products. You I mean, said it's like 800... There are 800 things on the list, right? Are different compounds that if they're present, you have to... Yeah, it's it's so silly. Did any of these... Uh, Ian, let me ask you this. Yeah. Are any of these carcinogens responsible for the physical deformities of the uh, Dick Tracy villains? <laughs> Do they give reasons for any of their weird-shaped uh, faces? And <laughs> What's weird is that he was just trying to draw like he he didn't think like oh I'll make them cartoonish and and odd looking he wanted them to clearly look odd but he thought he was drawing kind of like scary villains it's also an incredibly violent uh comic strip like yeah yeah they use guns and people are murdered is there and, blood in it ooh i don't think there's a lot of blood i don't think but they like the very first strip ever um a fictional version of Al Capone is holding a blowtorch to a man's feet. Oh, and that's like that's like pretty. Uh, that, that's that's pretty violent. When was that published? I think that was the thirties. Wow, was it ever in a comic book form or always just strips no and strips? Because that's that's where those were happening those days. The okay. it was a daily comic strip. Was that then subject? I don't know about my history of comics and comic strips, but I know there was like this code that got passed at some it was, point. Because it was pre-code. It was pre-code. Okay. Hence, at least, but then more it, violent it, and right. But then, as it lasted um, technically till today, but he was still doing them up. I think until the eighties, at least in the seventies. Did he live to see the Warren Beatty Madonna? Uh... <laughs> he did not, and. Um, my sources say he probably would not have loved it. <laughs> have you seen it or heard the soundtrack? I'm breathless songs from and inspired by the motion picture, Dick Tracy. Yes. Or Call because Me Madonna's yeah. Madonna's characters is named breathless Mahoney. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he it's a, I mean, it is a very fun movie. It's it ridiculous. is, it is absolutely ridiculous. It, uh, it is definitely something 
different than what he was trying to do with the comic strip. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if I've revisited it since I saw it in theaters, but uh, has time been kind to that? Have you? I re I rewatched it last year during my uh, Dick Tracy phase. Is it worth? Is it worth the the listener who hasn't heard of this movie? Yeah, checking it's it beautiful. Out? It is like it's truly a beautiful movie where you're just like, oh my god, it is absolutely ridiculous sometimes. Uh, but an insane cast too. Dustin Hoffman is in that. Dick Van Dyke is in that. Al Pacino is in it. Al Pacino may have been nominated for an oscar for that madonna that is sounds... in it oh warren Beatty directed it yes holy shit and he owns the rights to this day and he won't let anybody do anything with him i had no Isn't idea that crazy i really want to go rewatch this now i forgot charles durning is in it did you already say dick van dyke yeah jesus that's mandy patinkin paul sorvino james conn Catherine o'hara <laughs> yeah it's an insane cast yeah i gotta go rewatch this and it was all um practical effects and crazy yes. masks and yeah uh, if you it it's like very much in response to the first tim burton batman it's almost like oh this we're gonna do this right that's like what they're that's what warren Beatty was like oh you did this with batman well i'm gonna do what you did even better and it's like wow insane Oh, it does. I'm watching the trailer again. It does look a lot like Tim Burton's Batman. Yes. Well, send in your videos of you running 100 meters as fast as you can, <laughs> and then... Yeah, I, I do want to know. I, I really do want to know how fast I can run fun. now. If we can get that Listeners. To, should we do a hashtag for it so other people can like look at... Uh, can you think of a clever Smart. play on probably science and running? Hashtag Dick Tracy. Probably, probably sprint. <laughs> <laughs> the Dick Tracy challenge. Probably fast. What if we could get probably fast? That's good. Probably fast is great. Dick Tracy challenge to take off. It refers to video tape yourself running 100 meters, and then no one knows why. Uh, that's Tracy so funny. Challenge. All right, yeah, definitely. There we that's go. Dick Tracy, Dick Tracy, Dick Tracy challenge. A video of you running 100 meters in. Preferably what you wear to work. Yeah. Great. Great. And I know we have scientists as well. So like, I this, want lab don't coats. Don't explain why it's called the Dick. If someone asks <laughs> you, just post the video and say Dick Tracy Challenge. <laughs> That's great. I love that. Uh, I, I love... I, our listeners are great. We got, we got a pretty cool correction, clarification, whatever you want to call it, from Michael Porter, one of our listeners. Michael Porter. Oh, yeah. About yeah. Uber. Because last week we mentioned the, the Uber self-driving car death and i i was talking about how one death is not bad uh well let's not, <laughs> let's not put it that way let's say, let's just say or, or rather if in general a, a self-drive it's that psychological thing of cars generally kill quite a lot of people if it's so safer actually than a human driver then yeah that should be the priority. even though psychologically just seeing what any death yeah. from a human from a non-human driver will come across as terrible but actually um i think if, i think we've said this in some form a dozen times a dozen I'm, times not just you me too <laughs> we've both yeah been, if uh, if self-driving cars end up killing substantially lower numbers than human driven cars even if they do still kill people that is a good thing that's still a lot more people surviving and living and not being injured um however uh so michael porter said first yeah you're right about the number of deaths from driving if they'd just been a normal car we'd never have heard about it with that out of the way the only entity that should be condemned here is uber more info has come out firstly the car apparently just never slowed down which we talked about yeah. which says to me that it that the car either didn't see her or there was a disconnect between sensors and controls. That is a massive, massive failure at a very basic task. 
And moreover, it was also reported, or should I say re-reported, since this was reported over a year ago too, that Uber's intervention rate, the frequency with which the safety driver has to take control, that their intervention rate target is once every 13 miles. That's one three, and they're struggling to hit that. A year ago, it was apparently around once a mile. That's once a mile that the human driver has to take over the controls. By comparison, Google is clocking in around once every 5,600 miles. 5,600 miles. So, and even that is unacceptably high just to sell the thing to the public, but Google is doing much better. Here's where I'll stop you for a second, because I was under the mistaken impression, having not read the details, that Uber was using Google self-driving technology. I didn't know Uber had developed their own. Well, that was what the court case was about, because Uber nabbed someone who had worked for the company that Google then bought. Oh, okay. And the court case, I believe, again, correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, but I think this is the case, that the court case was over the fact that that engineer left Google or the company that Google bought that was self-driving car with potential technology, and they were saying, like, Uber's nicking our stuff. Okay. Um, so Michael goes on, point is, it's a, it's a, good damn thing that uber is taking its autonomous cars off the road and i hope they never come back because going by their performance not much actual research was going on and they shouldn't have been anywhere but a test track yet so that does that in no way changes what i already thought and knew about uber which is that they just don't give a fuck about laws or regulations they just do their own shit and try and railroad over things and in this case it's become at the expense of a human yeah we've had a couple of stories this week that have been like um, yeah, slap shot like- <laughs> slap shot that's not a that's not the right word <laughs> downers slip shot wait what are you saying Sorry. slap dash i think i combined sl- slip shot and slap dash I'll into a new completely different word okay, yeah. uh attempts at science at that have caught well yeah that's true a, a similar yes um in uh, both cases by running over protocols and not doing the work and just thinking fuck it we'll work it out on the fly right by trial and error dead people dead people yeah Let's try to step it up, people, with uh, with your science, with your engineering, with your um, just uh, level of rigor, I guess. Is that the right one? I don't mm-hmm. know. But also, but thank yeah. you, Michael Porter, for writing in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we like all our listeners who write in or comment on the websites or who use the website uh, to find the donation button. Oh, yes, yes. Let me thank some of this. Which is at the squarespacepoweredproblemsciencecom You can also get your own website if you go to, probably, if you go to Squarespace and put in the offer code probablyscience. You can get a free get trial. Free trial. It's great, easy to use. You know what Squarespace is. It lets you build your website really easily. If you want to make a Squarespace site, use our code, and that helps us. doesn't take a Beautiful. rocket scientist, steam-powered or otherwise. Uh, <laughs> so we had donations from Jake Swenson, who has, I think, recently set up a monthly donation. We oh, have nice. uh, Leanne Mejier with a monthly donation, Peter Lipchi. One moment. And he didn't transfer them into the no, documents. So you're just having to rough... <laughs> Emma Wilton with a monthly donation. I believe those are all the ones since our last recording, since it wasn't that long ago. That is true. Thank we you, all of you. appreciate all of you very much. We appreciate all of our donors. We also appreciate people who just go to the various social media and spread the word, who write nice things about us on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, or their podcast listener Whatever, of choice, and yeah. give us nice five-star reviews, because that also helps just bump us up in the charts and gets and people knowing about us. All you guys who've been doing the Dick Tracy challenge, great work. Keep it up. I can't believe the outpouring of support that's come from hashtag Dick Tracy challenge. All you guys running a hundred meters and posting your videos on all your platforms. We really appreciate it. So I'm, keep them coming. I'm so happy about this. Uh, not least because I know we will get people. I mean, we, got- if we get one Dick Tracy challenge video. I'll be I would be ecstatic. so thrilled. <laughs> and if Incredible. you want to wear a, a yellow duster, is that kind of his outfit? Yeah. A yellow long... Yeah. 
uh, coat. And, you and ho- yeah. You're, you're going to lose a little a bit hat. of speed holding onto your hat yeah. as you run. <laughs> yeah. That's going to cost a, a you a few milliseconds. And your Tommy gun is going to weigh you down. That's also going to, I think. But, um, That's so funny. <laughs> and having to run in a zigzag to avoid the fire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Dick Tracy challenged it up. Hey, Ian, how do, I, how do our listeners find you? How do our listeners track you down? Go on Twitter, at Ian Abramson. Uh, you can't go wrong. You it, can't. You, and check out Ian's Conan set. Sure, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Google uh, Google YouTube.com and then click on that first link and in the search bar on that website, type in Conan Ian Abramson. And you, you did a very silly thing on that show that I very much enjoyed. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. There was science as well, I guess, yeah. in a sense. <laughs> it, was, it was Pavlovian. <laughs> yes. It was, yeah. So check it out. Yeah, so I'm not even going to say. Was? I'm not even going to say anything more than it that. It was a physical pain. It, it, it does. It, it was, involves me being in physical pain. If you want to watch me get hurt, it was television. a Pavlovian comedy experiment <laughs> on Conan combined with stand-up. Do you still do your poetry show? Uh, not regularly. No, no. But I, I do do it every now and then. So there's clips of that too. Seven minutes in purgatory. You can see comedians perform in a separate room from the audience, so they don't know how they're doing. It's pretty great. Yeah. So that, again, two shows with a sort of scientific, <laughs> yeah. scientific bent like. to that. Controlled experiments. <laughs> so check out Ian. We'll put links on probably science.com as well and in the show notes to all the stories we covered and also to the social media options. You can email us probablyscience at gmail.com with questions, comments, clarifications, and stories you'd like us to cover on the show. You can also find us individually at Andy T. Wood and at Matt Kirshen, as well as collectively at Probably Science. Ian, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having yeah, me. This was, was a blast and a half. Listeners, 1.5 will... blasts. <laughs> How fast would Hussein be going if he was 1.5 blasts? Okay, well, See you next week. See you next week. Dick Tracy challenge. Dick Tracy challenge. <laughs> Hashtag. Hashtag.